Good afternoon, everyone. I'm here. Hey, life's good. Office hours with David Meltzer and Blaine Bartlett. Learn.blainebartlett.com forward slash LMM. They don't have his mindset mastermind logo up, but they will, I'm sure. Uh, that thing's, again, great feedback, by the way, Blaine, on your mastermind. I can tell you uh, a lot of my community gives me uh, so many, so, so much credit. I get credit for the book you wrote for us. I get credit for the mastermind you give. You know, it's amazing. I need more friends like Blaine Bartlett. That's all I got to say. <laughs> well, thank you for saying so. I love it's a great program. It, 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 we're kicking butt in there right now. We're having a great time. Well, we're gonna have even a better time now because we finally get a guest that I can pronounce his name. His name's Jeffrey Smith. So, uh, the, <laughs> sorry, Akbar. Uh, Jeffrey Smith's easier to say. He's the founder of Protect Nature Now Coalition, executive director, Institute for Responsible Technology, and I think both of those areas. Uh, deserve some uh, more attention and awareness uh, because we really have to figure out uh, the positive and negative effects of, of um, technology, especially with AI uh, coming upon us in more and more daily activities, um, but also how they integrate with the natural resources that we have. Um, I'm a personal believer uh, that the technology, if utilized correctly, will be the solution. The entrepreneurs will be the heroes uh, by, you know, fixing and, and, you know, for example, trash conversion or waste conversion into energy or uh, filling up our atmosphere instead of depleting our atmosphere through technology. Um, but as it stands today, you are the leader in the GMO uh, uh, research that's going on, uh, which is crucial. I thought maybe, Jeffrey, we'd start off. Not a lot of people understand herbicides and technology and nature. So maybe give us a little bit of a lesson to start off on you know, what exactly you're researching and what impact it's having on our future. Well, for 25 years, I've been focusing on the dangers of genetically engineered foods like soy, corn, etc. Most of the GMOs are designed to be sprayed with Roundup herbicides. So now you have two potential dangers, the herbicide, which gets absorbed into the crops that we eat, and the changes in the genetic code, which can change the biochemistry of the plant as the GMO. And we have now seen that more than 30 diseases are very tightly linked to both GMOs and the Roundup herbicide, which is used on the Roundup-ready genetically engineered crops. And we can see how that occurs through the damage to the microbiome, the damage to the mitochondria, to the, to the DNA, to the neurotransmitters like serotonin, melatonin, and dopamine, to the epigenetic effects, to the leaky gut. We can identify the plausible causative pathways that explain why more than 30 diseases are rising in parallel in the United States with the increased use of GMOs and Roundup. We also see that when people switch to organic foods, which are not allowed to use either, they get better from about 30 different diseases. We've surveyed over 3,000 people. I've gotten that feedback from dozens of medical conferences where I spoke to audiences about it. And it's also found even in the animal feeding studies. Now that's the GMOs that we eat, but there's now gene editing, which is so cheap and easy that someone in their own basement can genetically engineer microbes and release them into the environment. And if you know that we didn't need a pandemic to know that microbes can travel the world and mutate and swap genes with other microbes and that the microbiome, the microbial ecosystem is necessary for human health and health of the environment. And it can be collapsed by these GM microbes. Yeah, the 
the the impact on the microbiome is is just profound and I don't think a lot of our listeners are really appreciative, and I'm, just, I'm making a leap of uh, assumption here, but really appreciate the power of the microbiome to actually generate health or to decrease health and denigrate health. And with the foods that we eat today, um, the impact on the microbiome is is absolutely uh, unbelievably toxic. And I, and I mean that very specifically. I mean, I grew up on a farm, and Dave knows this. I grew up on a farm, and we ate, yeah, we ate food that we grew, and it was fertilized with cow manure. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we, we, I would shovel, I'd muck out the stalls, and uh, we didn't have uh, artificial fertilizers. It, I mean, there was just this natural reciprocity in, in terms of how, yeah, food was grown and consumed. We've gotten so far away from this, and that goes back into the 50s and 60s. Uh, we've gotten so far away from that. I'm I'm, at, yeah, I'm curious here, uh, just from uh, the the perspective of leadership in business. I mean, agriculture is an enormous business, um, and uh, you marry that with big pharma, and then we've got uh, a Faustian bargain here. Um, if leaders took a Hippocratic oath, and I'm going to put this in a medical context here, Hippocratic oath to first do no harm, what would we see happening? Do you think? Uh, in either one of these two behemoths of market sectors, yeah, big agra and uh, big pharma, first do no harm. Where would we well, end up with that? I think we would see no outdoor release of genetically modified organisms and no products of GMOs put into the food supply. 25 years ago, I learned about GMOs from a whistleblowing genetic engineer who had received grant money from NIH. He was an award-winning scientist and said, Monsanto doesn't know how to predictably change genes. They're putting at risk anyone who eats GMOs. And once you put it into the environment, the changed genes change the gene pool. It's a self-propagating mm -hmm. situation. In the last 25 years, what's the most consistent about genetic engineering is the surprise side effects. The process yeah. causes massive collateral damage in the DNA. And that can, that can be like a time bomb in the environment because we don't know what that's going to do to us. So all of the money that's been spent on releasing GMOs into the environment, all the money that's been spent on taking the products of GMOs and putting it into the food supply from a Hippocratic Oath type of situation, that would be removed. And we have plenty of evidence to show that this is science-based. We're not against science. We need more science because what we're dealing with is a not well-known ecosystem, especially in the case of the microbiome. We now know that it can determine whether we have disease, whether we are fat or skinny, what our desires are, our behavior. It actually stimulates the reward centers of our brain if we're doing behavior that helps it survive. When in the female, in the second trimester, bacteria go into the birth canal that digest milk. That will then uh, inoculate into the baby to help them digest the milk. Part of the milk from the mother doesn't feed the baby. It feeds the microbiome. We co-evolved with these critters, and now we are risking damaging and collapsing the ecosystems which support our health and the environment. You know, Jeffrey, it's so interesting in two respects. One, Blaine was talking about, you know, his farm in Oregon, and I was thinking about another shared experience that Blaine and I had in Africa, 
Uh, because as much as I watched The Lion King and realized Disney's the master of copying real life and animating, you know, early on before anybody gets to these places, exactly what it looks like. Um, you know, I've never been um, more impacted by that circle of life, like truly see, you know, why and how animals attack and and when they're afraid and when they're not. If somebody would have told me I'd be walking the Masamari with, you know, zebra and hyena and feeling more relaxed about it than if I see a stray dog in my neighborhood. Uh, yeah. But to that respect, the evolution of, of how things are consumed and how waste is utilized and then consumed again. And uh, now that we're interfering uh, with the natural discourse of this <laughs> circle, you know, wh where and how my, my, my biggest concern is consumption. I keep looking at things saying, are we too far along the way? Should we be taking our resources and focus uh, like my idea, I think we're we're too far away with the consumption of of plastics and 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 waste to worry about recycling. We should be focusing all our time, energy, and emotion in converting that stuff into something positive. Uh, is this the same type of focus? You, I mean, just to give you some credit, so people know, because I didn't give an adequate introduction. You are the leading GMO uh, speaker. You have two global bestsellers. You've directed five films. You, thousands of lectures, interviews, 45 countries, and most importantly to me, you've trained 1,500 other speakers uh, who are also over 10,000 grassroots ambassadors or advocates of yours. You know, where should we be focusing the solution, though? Is it on restricting our consumption, or is it really we got to figure out how to re-engineer what we've already done? It's a great question, and it's a very – it's bringing me deep. It's bringing me deep. So – at protectnaturenow.com, there's a 16-minute film. It's my last, it's my shortest film. It's my most recent. And it describes how well-meaning scientists created genetically engineered bacteria to turn crop stubble in farms into alcohol so that the farmers could run their tractors and then sell extra alcohol off farm for money and take the nutrient-rich sludge at the bottom of the barrel and spread it on their fields as fertilizer. Now, two weeks before it was to be released. A graduate student happened to do some research on that sludge, and it turns out, according to the scientists that I interviewed in the film, if it had been released, it could have theoretically ended terrestrial plant life on the planet. Another almost released genetically engineered bacteria in the film Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle could have altered weather patterns. A genetically enhanced avian flu was 24 times more deadly than the current COVID variety and the genetic engineers made it airborne. So these are playing with G the gene code in a way that could be beyond a catastrophe, it could be a cataclysm. I agree that consumption and conversion are important, but that's the model of chemicals and plastics. When you go into biology, it's not like a spill will decrease over time. You know, the, the oil spill in the Gulf decreases over time. But if you release, let's say, 100,000 different genetically engineered microbes because of the CRISPR kits that you can buy online, those are out there. They change the nature of nature. The genetic changes that you put into those 100,000 microbes then get swapped into maybe hundreds of thousands more, maybe millions more. And we have no way to track it or recall it. So... During the chemical period, I think your question is 
absolutely fundamental. And I think you're right on in terms of conversion. But when during the biological period, when we can change the streams of evolution for all time irreversibly, we need to lock it down immediately. Because once you put the microbe out in the, in the environment, you can't return it. It's like le letting 24 rabbits go in Australia in 1859. The rabbits multiplied like rabbits. And in 1920, they were two 10 billion. We don't have the ability to even track where the microbes go. So at protectnaturenow.com, we have an advocacy platform where you can immediately send messages to your elected officials, to the media, to uh, regulatory agencies, asking them to block this. Right now we're trying to block the release of genetically engineered mosquitoes in 12 counties in California. And so it's not quite a microbe, but they happen to have the comment period this week. But in general, we're trying to get new laws to stop it before it's ever released, before it's too late. Yeah, there's not wanting to be a Cassandra here. Uh, and, and, and there's an and that follows that. Um, yeah, the, the whole aphorism of follow the money, yeah, it kind of crops up in my mind here. Yeah, these no pun, these, no pun these, intended. Yeah, no pun intended. There's there people do this because there's money in it, uh, potentially, uh, or even you know, quick quickly realized. How do you put that back in the bottle? I mean, you know, you know, you, you, the, you know, the the pun that you got here is you know, put the gene back in the bottle. How do you how do you propose doing that? That's a great question, and I think you'll appreciate this. Imagine if we pass the laws that we want to say, if you release a genetically engineered microbe on purpose or accidentally, you're liable for all damage, health, environment, economy, and you have to clean it up and there's no way to clean it up. So it's gonna be a long-term process. Now, let's say you're using genetic engineered microbes in the factory to produce some kind of active ingredient to put into the food supply. And you're just doing some kind of very shabby job in disposing of your genetically engineered yeast. And it turns the microbiome of the planet in such a way that threatens our lungs like the algae or threatens our gut microbiome. If you realize that you're financially responsible for the mistakes that your creations make, then you have to lock it down and then you get real serious. You can't mm -hmm. outsource the problem. You can't externalize the problem. So in this case, it's not trying to stop the money. It's trying to actually provide proper accounting. And yeah. we, want, we want this 100% liability to happen along with the lockdown. So people say, well, it doesn't really matter. But it does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fight the money with the money. Jeffrey Smith, thank you so much for all you're doing. We certainly appreciate you. Founder of Protect Nature Now Coalition, protectnaturenow.com. Uh, I'm going to check out a few more of your films. It's absolutely fascinating. I never realized the distinguishment between the, the bio and the chemical. Uh, so I got to do a lot more research. Thank you for allowing me to be more interested in interesting in preserving human existence. Uh, it certainly is something that we need. We appreciate you immensely. Please come back and join us again. Thank you so much, David. I really appreciate your work, too. Thank you. Thank you. Good having you on the show. Thanks, Jeffrey. Wow. You know, sometimes wow. I sit there, I'm like, whoa, we're getting a good lesson today. I have no idea. As terrifying as it is, uh, it also gives me a sense of control that, hey, you know what? The, there are people out there that actually know what they're doing and they're protecting us uh, from ourselves. And uh, a great question about money, by the way. I always love to see 
how, how money begets money. And, you know, although the one thing that came to mind when he's talking about the liability, I'm like, nobody has enough money if they ruin the whole world. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just hey, even Johnson and Johnson could afford that one or PG, uh, anyway, yeah, or Jeff Bezos, <laughs> yeah, Bezos, maybe. Um, anyway, we have Sage L here, that car, and she's the chief culture officer of Nobody Studios, a company which I invested yeah. in, a company I sit on wow. the board of, uh, a new perspective in how we can take a holistic approach to building business and building humanity. Uh, I say, Joel, thank you so much for joining us. Give us a little background on the perspective, the idea of Nobody Studios, because I got so excited when I sat down with the team and somebody took the same approach that I've been trying to take as an individual, but now with some serious money and some serious brain power behind it. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me here. I've heard so many good things about you, David. So, and um, so it's my honor to be here. Um, yeah, same thing. I was just floored when I talked to Mark McNally for the first time and he told me about his vision and how he wants to go about it and creating the future of work and looking at bringing culture to the forefront, you know, at, at a startup at this early stage. I was like, where do I sign up? Right. So, um, but yeah, we, we have this crazy goal, right, of doing 100 new companies in the next five years. And so we are, what's exciting for me being a part of this journey, and, I, and probably this is what enticed you as well, is how do we actually build this from the ground up and actually do it that looks forward and takes all the issues that are happening in companies that are already out there, but learns from all those lessons, but then can in, you know take all those lessons and put them into our company starting now but not only at the studio, but then for every company that comes out of the studio. So that the ability to take that and scale the impact was a huge part of why I wanted to be a part of it. You know, you know, when David and I put this Thursday show together, Thursday office hour shows, the original title of it was the soul of business office hours. And I'm, I'm very interested to I mean, a hundred you know, companies. It's how, how do you position keeping connected to what I call the soul of the business when you look at scalability, yeah, particularly on the scale that uh, Nobody Studios is looking at. Yeah, and, and that's like a huge quality that kind of sets us apart from some of the other businesses, right, is that we're crowd infused from step one. So the crowd and the people for who we're building these companies are going to be a part of that solution from the very beginning, from like generating ideas, giving us feedback, raising capital, putting our companies out there. We're going to be, you know, we don't want to spend a lot of money on, on a, an idea and then find out later on that it's not going to work for the people that you're making this product for or this company for, right? So crowd infusion from the very beginning. So it's really about bringing ideas and giving access to people who have ideas that may not have had access to that. So very much, again, where the ideas come from can come from anywhere. You know, I mean, one of our companies that is being built on, for example, Mark, Mark McNally, our CEO, was on his way to the airport and he had a long drive there and was got into a conversation with the Uber driver and said, figured out that Uber drivers, you know, don't have a place where they can use the restroom. And that's a serious problem. So how do we solve that problem? And they came out of there saying, let's talk. And now that individual is a part of our studio and is driving that company forward, right? So giving access to somebody like an Uber driver or to anybody, a lot of people, and a lot of people also, you know, 
have had careers where they might have like 20 ideas, but they can't really do anything with it. So they can bring it to the studio and the studio says, okay, let's put it out to the crowd. And if people respond to it, let's do it. You know, and if, if it lands on the ground and it doesn't go anywhere, then that obviously is not going to be something that we're going to do. But yeah, it's, it's just so many things that are different in what we're doing. Yeah. You know, Blaine, I, I, I saw this deal and it excited me because one of my favorite entrepreneurs of all time is Ray Kroc. And not just because he owned the Padres, uh, because that's what nobody of studios does is it takes people that, you know, if it wasn't for Ray Kroc, the McDonald brothers would have one restaurant that probably still existed in San Bernardino, California, and the whole world mm -hmm. of franchising fast food and the safety and security and uh, clean bathrooms and the cultural effect that uh, McDonald's has had, this surf speedy system that he created that fast speedy system of you, you know, John Mills type of, uh, of effect would never have gotten out. This great idea never would have spread and changed the world the same way as, you know, like Bradley Tusk affected Uber and, and figuring that out. And so, you know, to provide the get to market, uh, resources when you have a great idea is extraordinary. Um, but you know, uh, Sage one of the things when I talked to Mark too, is you, because I had never heard of a CCO before, a chief cultural officer. And so I checked out um, your TEDx talk and mm -hmm. I'm a, a big student of pain. You know, pain to me is an indicator to get us somewhere better. It's not punishment. It's a propeller. It propels us to something better. And uh, your talk was extraordinary uh, about pain and power and the paradox of bias uh, of what we should be aware of and how we should transcend, transform from this paradox itself. And I was hoping that you could give us a little bit of a trailer or a highlight to what I thought was one of the better, if not the great TEDx talks that I've heard. Oh my God. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Cause obviously it took a lot for me to do that. So oh, I know. Uh, thank you. Um, <laughs> no, you know, my talk literally was because David, I was doing a lot of training on unconscious bias in my classes and to these corporations. And the minute I would say that word bias, right, I would notice that people would just kind of disconnect from the conversation. And I mean, trust me, I was an attorney for how many years? And I never learned about how powerful unconscious bias, they don't teach you that in law school. Yeah, they don't but, teach you a lot in law school. They don't even teach you how to practice law in law school. Remember, I'm a, I'm a recovering lawyer like you. I get Are it. You? Okay. <laughs> But, you know, so so I went in, in the talk, I really I present bias from three different perspectives. Right. I talk about the pain aspect of it, which really talked about my own story, about how I was the only Indian family growing up in an Italian neighborhood and being on the victim side of bias and my own personal journey and dealing with that. And so and, and, you know, and then I talk about the paradox of bias, because then when I you know, I've always been a social justice advocate. But when I got done with law school, I actually ended up being a defense attorney. So now I was representing people who were mm -hmm. accused of harming other people. And like I said, the cases I work on harassment, discrimination. So now I was representing the people that were accused of this behavior. And I was like, I got to see bias from a whole different perspective and then realize that, you know, bias is not it's not one dimensional. It's, it hurts everybody. And so we need to figure out how do we move forward? And then I started learning about implicit bias and started doing some training and talking about it. And then I realized there is such a huge lack of awareness on this topic 
that literally we need to normalize that conversation so that people can understand that this is an individual thing. It's you're not a bad person because you've got unconscious bias. We all do. It's about learning what your own are. So in the talk, I give some strategies to people about, you know, first of all, do the work and understand what, what it is. But then once you do, you can mitigate it. And that's the whole thing is that we know we can retrain our brain, our mind and learn new behaviors. So it's not something that we're stuck with. But people just don't know how to do that, right? So that was the whole reason why I did that talk. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, the, the whole idea of noticing what I notice. Until I can notice something, I'm powerless to change it because it's out of awareness. And yeah. to your point, I think, Sajal, you know, everybody has bias. You know, we, we don't get to be in a, you know, a human being on this planet without some acculturated bias perspective. And yeah, one of the reasons that David and I wrote, you know, Compassionate Capitalism, and then I wrote uh, the Leadership Mindset, was in part to address that bias in business. That you know, the bias around profit first, the bias around leadership being hierarchical, command and control. Um, yeah, in the work that you're doing with nobody, and I love the the idea that yeah, it's a studio. Yeah, studios are places for exploration. Yes. Studios are places where you can kind of dance with things. So, and I've got a dog that's got a, a bias towards deer right now, and she's seeing a deer out in the yard. Um, how, how do you bring in, uh, how do you bring that awareness into the conversation as you're growing a business with somebody that has an idea? Well, I mean, culture is going to be the most important driver, right, for innovation and high performance. Like, like you said, it's going to be it's, the studio can be different because people can people can give what they want to give. You know, if they want to work a couple hours a week and this is their side hustle, then that could be that. There's going to be people that are going to come in there and start on one thing and want to take on more, right? But that that flexibility to also move from team to team. So really, the way that I'm looking at culture there and bringing just everything that I've learned to the table now with, you know, is how do we create the best leaders? Because everybody mm -hmm. that comes into the studio, as far as I'm concerned, is a leader. And so what can yep. we do to support that person, to help them be self-aware, to help them recognize when things are going on with other people? And so that's what's going to drive the innovation performance, right? And so if we, if we, if we do this right from the beginning, where we're going to create that psychological safety. So we're, we're going to go out there and just tell people. So I, I've, since I've joined, one of the things I've been working on is something that I've called like the culture manifesto, really sort of letting people know that this is what we're, this is what our vision is. We've got a pretty audacious vision that we're going to try to accomplish. So if you come in, you can put in as much as you want, but here's what our vision is. And so we want behaviors to align up with that vision and it's not for everybody and that's okay. But we get to, from the beginning, just say, this is what we want, and then make all the systems and the policies and the structures around to support that, versus if you just go in there, right? And the beauty of it, again, I can't stress this enough, is that every company that comes out of there is going to have those structures built in. And again, a lot of the companies that were, the areas that we're interested in, right, work workplace wellness, we're interested in suicide prevention. We're in, interested in life longevity, helping people deal with substance abuse, mental. You know, we've got all these areas that we're interested in. We can create companies to help those areas. So the amount of good that we can do, the impact that we can have is huge, massive. You know, um, Sejel, one of the other things that's interesting because you are the cultural guru and expert and you founded a company you know t train extra that was about creating 
positive, safe, and respectful workplaces um, with effective training and you know cultural awareness. One of the difficult things we talked about in your TED talk, um, the unconscious biases or the unconscious competencies, things have evolved since you founded Train Extra, that there's a, a new amalgamation of, of conscious bias. And it's an, I call it an unintentional bias uh, because we're so segregated by a spectrum of data that we've created a vacuum of a community that's a metaverse so that anyone, regardless of where you you live, you know, in the old days, you, you didn't blame someone that was uh, living in the bayou for their their spectrum of data that they had. They they had this, you know, unintentional bias. It wasn't unconscious. It was unintentional. They It was truly unbiased in their opinion because that's all they knew. Well, now this has been spread that everyone lives in the bayou. You know, you watch CNN, that's your bayou. You watch Fox, that's your bayou. You watch, you can categorize TikTok and then it keeps on you know, through the the uh, the dynamics of technology, if you're on Google, it's your bot. You know, they're feeding into yes. this, you know, unintentional bias, and now you create this studio with an expertise in culture. How are we supposed to re-engineer the unintentional biases that keep separating us? And when we house ourselves into these workplaces and build a culture to create a greater abundant attitude and abundance for all, how how are we supposed to take that today? to add on to the unconscious bias, the unintentional biases that we have. Well, and it's very easy. It's like, I would say like, if you take yourself off of social media, take your, turn that TV off, stop watching the news. We have to be very intentional about it. Right. And so from the very beginning, it's very intentional in what we're trying to do, but it's good. It goes back to the concept of creating communities where people want to be a part of it. Right. Rather than you're forced to be a part of it. Right. So in that approach, that intentional, that being that intentional is going to be the, the foundation, right? And so the people that come join this jump journey with us and they want to be a part of it, like you and other people that are coming, they want to be there because they also see that vision, right? So it's about creating communities. And I think that's what everybody's trying to do is that we're realizing, at least some of us, I can't speak for everybody, but I think more than before are finally getting to see that we can do this. We could just focus on building these communities. And that's what Nobody Studios is doing, is building a community of creators, of innovators, of people who want to be a part of this journey, entrepreneurs, you know, people who care about culture like me and, and want to make a difference in the world can come here and get an opportunity to do that, right? So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's- It does, <laughs> Yeah, well, well th thank you so much. I mean, Mark, uh, I thought he was exaggerating when he told me how wonderful you were. And uh, it was an <laughs> underestimate of uh, your capabilities and creativity. And it's going to be such a joy, not to alliterate too much, to collaborate with you as well, yes. uh, to help these people, these companies, uh, you know, help us uh, with their solutions and find their destinies, which is beautiful. Um, people can find you at trainextra.com and nobodystudios.com. Anywhere else you'd like people to reach out to you. Yeah, you know, LinkedIn is where I'm, I'm a huge believer in sharing information on not just what Nobody Studios is doing, but related to culture and people and all of that stuff. So I go out of my way to, because I know there's a lot of bad information out there, to find good, solid information and share it with my network. So follow mm -hmm. me on there. And yeah, I'm looking forward to getting to know you better too, David. Thank you. And, and likewise, thank you so much for both of you for welcoming me here. Oh, great, great having you here. here. 
Thank you. Awesome. I love to see lawyers doing good. Uh, <laughs> you got a bias there, buddy. You got a bias there. Yeah, was, you know, he was a public defender, and it's just be beautiful when we can use the things that they teach us uh, for good. And God is good, and so are uh, you know our intentions, which really uh, makes this show so wonderful. Um, well, anyway, I thought you know we had a couple of minutes, Blaine, that you and I could uh, maybe talk about you know the people that have come on, and you know it's been so interesting. Uh, sometimes I feel that it's too much and and you know i i feel like wow the, the you know what are we going to do you know what what are we going to do if one of these genomes get out what what do we do uh with the biases that are created what you know ha has this all gotten away from us and you're a little bit older than i am you know is, is this part of human nature uh you know i know the accelerated changes that we've occurred but there's always change and you know, 2000 years ago, do you think, you know, hu hu humans were like, whoa, this is getting away from us. You know, we, we, we have water running to our houses. You know, <laughs> I don't know what they were yeah. thinking. You know, is this a natural <laughs> thing and it, it always evolves or could we someday be extinct if we let this stuff get away from us? I, I Yes. Short answer from my perspective, we could someday be extinct if we're not paying attention. And um you know, the problem with change is hardly ever the change itself. The problem with change, and I'm fond of saying this, is the disruption to relationships that change causes. And the, the pace of change today is disrupting relationships across the board. And, you know, typically, you know, when we end our show, you know, we talk about what's the takeaway. Well, I think what we're looking at right now is the consequence of unintended consequences. Um, uh, we're, we're looking at, you know, Re-engineering microbes. What's the unintended consequences? And more specifically, what's the what's the relational disruption that this that's that this technology? I mean, I I, I can get a kit and I can actually do you know, genetic alterations. What's the relationship that I'm not paying attention to that is going to get disrupted? And that you know. The relationship with my bike, you know, microbiome, all of these things. I think if we're looking at what technology makes possible today, one of the things that we aren't having conversation about are the relationships that are being disrupted. And it's not that we don't want to have disrupted technologies. You know, when disruptive technologies, I think, are, are absolutely what entrepreneurs pay attention to. But we need to, I think, have some consciousness, some awareness about what potential unintended consequences are we going to be not paying attention to that we need to pay attention to? Otherwise, we're going to get blindsided. Yeah. And, you know, I think in size, scope and scale in the universes and the embodiment, you know, that we're given and the multi-dimensional uh, <laughs> variables that some of these things that could happen, uh, you know, does it come down to, you know, hey, there's, a few that won't be affected there's a few that won't be infected so you have billions of people on earth and it's quite possible something that could happen that only a few are not affected or infected for whatever weird genetic or energetic uh predisposition or inheritance they've received that you know there's a certain cockroach gene that the nuclear effect just didn't have an effect the same way 
you know, you can't explain COVID and in, in where and how it hits. You know, there's certain things that are more susceptible to it. But, you know, not every person that was overweight that's not vaccinated got COVID, right? Mm-hmm. That was exposed to it. Um, so I always wonder, you know, in the redevelopment in the circle of life, as we talk about, you know, the possibilities and probabilities of, you know, extinction even, which is, you know, for me, yeah. not something I think about. I cancel it out. Uh, but, you know, where, where is that variable of all it takes is a few and you and I, you know, probably don't have time to talk about a relationship with time. But, you know, all it would <laughs> yeah. take is, you know, one man and one woman to survive. Uh, and, you know, here we are 5,000 years in the future and we have a whole nother planet full of billions of people with, you know, different technologies and interests. Uh, yeah. And it, it really is uh, fun to think about, which leads me to, to my next question. You know, is it healthy to frame things uh, to the level of human existence or is it healthy to ignore, ignore the possibility or, you know, where's the correct mindset to have as far as a yeah. healthy yeah, I think I think that's a great question. You know, uh, my last TED talk, um, I opened the TED talk by you know, zo- zooming out to the pale blue dot. It was a, a shot that Voyager took of the planet Earth, looking back from 500 billion you know, miles away, uh, and you can't—it's a little pixel, and that's that's home. That's the only place we got right now. And the net of it was, you know. The question we are facing as a species, I think, is not how do we live, it's how do we die? Because we are, each of us, dying moment to moment to moment. And if I ignore the fact that I'm interconnected to everything on this planet and ultimately everything in this universe, I'm not going to die well. I'm going to die selfishly. I'm going to die in service of my own values and my own needs. But if I begin to realize that I'm interconnected to everything, I start paying attention to what am I, how am I dying in service of that interconnection? What am I leaving behind that, that I, yeah, when I die today, does my death today enable a tomorrow for me? And I mean that literally, a tomorrow for me that I can build on that is uh, generative. Because when I wake up in the morning, I want to be able to get out of bed with hope. I want to get out of bed with uh, an idea of I get to contribute. You know, my life has meaning. Yeah, if it's just siloed and I forget about the interconnection, I don't care about you know what gets spilled on my lawn. I don't get, you know, as a matter of fact, I may not even want to grow a lawn because of the consequence of growing a lawn from an herbicide perspective. I might start to start thinking about things a little bit differently. So it's that idea of interconnection. And that, you know, when we wrote that book, Compassionate Capitalism, everything is connected. Everything is connected. And if I actually approach it from that perspective, that is a relationship. I start taking care of things in a different way. Compassion is impossible without the experience of connection, period. And to that relationship, I don't think I've ever asked you this question, but, you know, conscious and collective conscious. uh, Mm -hmm. It confuses people, but it also allows me to have even more faith in my existence in my infinite existence, in my abundant existence. Um, how do you explain, because I have difficult time uh, explaining conscious and the collective conscious, uh, which I think helps us all have more faith 
uh, live between limitlessness and infinity. How, you know, before we bring Alex on real quick, can you just explain how, you know, if, if Miles would ask you at 11 or an eighth grader would ask you, because that's probably about the level of my 11 year old's uh, aptitude. <laughs> how, how do you explain conscious and unconscious in, uh, in collective conscious? Collective conscious. I start with the personal. I mean, my my experience of, of, of life is yeah, an expression of my internal conversation. I'll just start with that now. I don't know if Miles would be able to grasp this. I think he probably would because Miles is a pretty pretty bright boy. But yeah, you know, what I see out there is an expression of my internal conversation, my internal consciousness, and it just gets it gets outpictured in my world, in my reality. You do that enough times, you know, like you do that, you know, six billion times, and you've got a collective conscience. The problem that I find, you know, if it's a problem or you know, it's not really a problem, the, what I run into is that most people aren't aware that what they're experiencing as reality is an outpicturing of their internal mindset, their internal reality. So we get this collective consciousness that is basically an, an unconscious outpicturing of a of you know 11 billion people doing unconscious things if people start becoming conscious that it's all a function of internal conversation being outpictured then they start questioning what is it that i'm bringing into reality it 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 all starts in here there's nobody and nothing out there except me and i don't mean blaine bartlett i mean the consciousness that moves to and through me that's there, there's nothing out there except that consciousness that moves to and through me, right? And that's what collectively or individually, yeah. And that creates the limitlessness and infinity that allows us to expand, grow, and accelerate, and really brings a great form of faith uh, to the existence uh, in a different realm than most people consider it. And I love the saying, "I give meaning to everything I see." I love when I learned that my eyes are actually projectors; uh, the lenses are projecting; uh, they're not receiving. Uh, anyway, yeah. let's bring. I, I'm glad we had these few moments. We don't get. I am too. I just wish I had a drink while we were doing it, but uh, <laughs> they, they haven't invented the virtual drink yet. Uh, anyway, Alex Lassiter is here, founder and CEO of Green Places to Work, GreenPlacesToWork.com, uh, another sustainable service for small business uh, and utilizing and understanding the carbon footprints. Alex, welcome to Office Hours. We'd love to hear just a quick little background and i know you have a question for my mentor and i uh we'd love to help you however we can thanks david super nice to meet you thanks for for taking the time to chat um we uh i really appreciate you having me on um so green places is pretty simple uh the idea is we're a turnkey solution for businesses to do a great job on sustainability uh this is actually my second company my first one i i started grew and, and eventually sold and kind of the idea behind this was business owners are, are under a lot of pressure to do a great job on sustainability, but most businesses don't have the resources, whether that's financial, operational, or, you know, even the expertise to be able to do a great job on sustainability. But employees want it, you know, customers want it, investors a lot of times, compliance wants it, and we feel like there's an opportunity to really help them and kind of be a turnkey solution for them. Amazing. Great. And uh, do you have a question for us? I do. Yeah. So one of the questions we get, and y'all talk to business owners all the time, um, and it's a big question that we run into, which is kind of how to understand the ROI of this. So my question to you is, where does sustainability fit in terms of 
you know, a corporate pr priority, especially, especially with regards to actually like turning an ROI? Like how does this fit into the ROI discussion in your opinion and based on kind of what you hear? Blaine, you want to attack that first for me? Yeah, I would start by actually questioning, you know, what, what return on what investment are you looking at? Um, if it's, if it's purely in a monetary context, um, sustainability is actually going to get taken off the table at some point in time because decisions will be made in service of that, yeah, that free cash flow or the profitability. You have to define investment in a different way and you have to define return, return, you know, defining return in terms of social impact. Return, you know, so some intangibles come into play here that begin to actually change the nature of actually how you're doing business. And you may end up settling for a, a smaller profit margin in service of a bigger impact or more significance. Uh, I mean, those sorts of things come into play. So you know, it's a conversation to have with the investor, uh, investing group. You know, for the sake of what are we in this business? And if it's just to make money, that's probably not going to be the place that you're going to look for sustainability long term. Yeah, I think related to that, and even if it is to make money, uh, then you have to create new challenges for your executive team to create a company that not only is sustainable, but makes a lot. There are huge companies that, uh, you know, are incredible uh, in the sustainability, but are making the most money on the planet. Mm -hmm. um, and okay. I think there's two things that I look at um, to encourage and inspire small, medium and large business to look at the sustainability and the impact there is one you need to clearly determine the timing and risk tolerance yes. of what the company's doing. And I think I deal with a lot of smaller businesses and personal people. And it's very obvious, you know, because you get, you know, neophytes that come up to me and say, should I invest in real estate? And I say, wow, we, we got to start over. You know, that's <laughs> not a question anyone should be able to answer uh, for you. Just like, should I invest in crypto or NFTs? Let's start by finding out what your timing and risk tolerance is. And then once, you know, as these corporations determine what their timing and risk tolerance is, then in, for example, if someone said my timing and risk tolerance is I need short-term profit. Mm -hmm. Well, then, you know what, let's see what the skills, knowledge, and desire of the company is aligned, synergistic, and supplementary to the timing and risk tolerance. Now let's truly fight the fight. Let's look at, you know, the credibility of what we're doing, the impact that it has, the reasons why we want that short-term investments of what we're doing and the capabilities, this is where people fall down. They forget, they think capabilities are benefits and features. They think they're yeah. utility to sell. Capabilities <laughs> are actually the empowering uh, ability of us to achieve, according to our timing and risk tolerance, these objectives. And so now what becomes the crucial determining factor is do you as an executive have the capability to articulate a quantitative value to exceed what you're asking for, mm -hmm. to create those margins when you still have no carbon footprint or even better feedback to the grid and create a negative carbon footprint. I invested in a company from Siemens, an old airplane engine that converts gasoline outwards as electricity, which then can be utilized what? to charge a home battery or charge a car and it has a negative carbon footprint uh, comparatively from the energy that's given from the grid of what it's creating. So there's, there is the, these people out there that actually care. And which brings me to the final part of the answer, 
first you got to pe- get people to get their, their timing and risk tolerance to care. Then you have to allow and help them articulate the quantitative value to exceed what they're asking for aligned with that timing and risk tolerance. And I know you're on the cutting edge of being one of those people, Alex, and whatever we can do to help you, we certainly are here to help. So continue to fight the good fight for the existence of everyone. So thank you. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Y'all have a good one. You too. You bet. Thanks, Alex. Enjoy. I hope I hope that was a Tesla, not a, a, a GMC twelve cylinder <laughs> truck. Yeah, big, big Tundra, which isn't GMC, <laughs> but <laughs> or a tractor. Uh, <laughs> all right, we got, we got a couple of minutes. Um, what what a great show! I love to get your takeaway for the day. Well, yeah, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. You know, the whole notion of unintended consequences, whether uh, it's you know with microbiome, uh, yeah collapsing or whether it's bias impact and the impact of unconscious bias. I mean, those sorts of things come into play. And I also think uh, the idea of not, not taking the time to wake up the unintended consequences of being asleep at the wheel. And that goes to the point of conscious, you know, yeah, collective conscious or individual conscious being out, out pictured in, in reality. Yeah, if people start to wake up, and this and this goes directly to we're all connected. Everything is connected. It's all relationship. I mean, this whole this whole this whole life is predicated on relationship, the quality of relationship. And if you've got good quality relationships with everything that you're connected with, life is going to actually rock. It's going to be pretty good, and it's going to be sustainable. I love that. My my takeaway for the day is when things get scary. All you need to do is do your best, learn lessons, and have fun. Uh, and I think that is aligned with what you're teaching. But, you know, some of these conversations for a couple of moments and minutes in my life, I got a little bit scared. And mm-hmm. I think at times everyone gets a little bit overwhelmed, a little bit scared that we don't know what we don't know and how are we going to ever fix this or stop this or, or heal this. And at those times, the lesson for me, the takeaway of the day is, hey, do your best learn lessons and have fun. That's the best we can ask. And that's all I ask of everyone. And you've taught me that to be at center at neutral, to do my best and to learn lessons and have fun. That's what I learned at learn.blainbartlett.com forward slash LMM. He is my mentor, the man who knows the soul of business as those two unbelievable books that he's written and put one of my names on uh, has uh, helped so many other people with. So reach out to, to Blaine there. You will not uh at all uh you will not regret it that's all i gotta say blaine thank you so <laughs> much for joining me thank you for making me more calm and not allowing me to get scared so i appreciate you you bet my friend i love you tons I truly you <laughs> okay right on all right that's learn.blainebartlett.com forward slash lmm he's my mentor if uh you want to learn what i've learned is a launch pad to your life reach out to Blaine. Uh, otherwise, if you need anything from me, you want to see the aspect or, or the impact that Blaine has had, david at dmeltzer.com. Just email me. I'll send you my ebook, audiobook. I'll sign a copy, send you my book, and uh, ship it to you, pay for the book and shipping. If you want any of the exercises or want to join me for training tomorrow, uh, we start on Clubhouse at 6 a.m. Pacific time. IG Live, and of course, training is entrepreneurship tomorrow. If you're interested in learning about being an entrepreneur, join me, David, at dmeltzer.com. We're blessed to have over 50,000 people registered for tomorrow. 
What a blessing we have. I want to thank all of our extraordinary guests. Thank you so much. And remember, most importantly, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you all tomorrow morning. Thanks.